Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for the beauty of your creation, the beauty of this place, Lord God, the beauty of all those who are gathered here, Lord, and the beauty that it is to worship you. We pray, Lord God, that you would speak today to us, that you would move powerfully in this place, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive you, that you would draw us into ever-deepening faith, a deeper understanding of who you are and how you work and how you are calling us to live in this world. We pray, Lord God, that you would give us unity, that you would give us an understanding, Lord God, of your your church and how you are working in this world and how you have been working, Lord, through its entire history. And we pray, Lord God, that you would reveal yourself to us now. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Please be seated. Morning. It is so great to see you all today. Well, since it's such a beautiful day and such a nice day and great opportunity, I thought we would talk about something we all agree on. It's always fun to do that, isn't it? So I thought the theme for today would be politics. Does that sound good? Right, because we all agree, don't we? Right, I mean, there's nothing but our polls which show that we all agree on everything. Such an easy, simple topic. There's no way I could mess this one up, is there? Well, voting has been completed and tabulations are taking place in our recent elections, but even as we are counting votes, there's still tension, isn't there? Right, because the numbers haven't been fully tabulated, candidates still don't know if they've won or lost, and what the implications will be for their life. There's just so much uncertainty, even though we've all done our part, right? There's still uncertainty and tension. And even once people get elected, does the uncertainty and the tension end? No, I mean, that's just the nature of things. Politics are complicated. The process is so fraught with conflict and uncertainty. And I find for myself, personally, trying to go through the process of being an informed voter and read and understand everything that I'm about to vote on, I find that's complicated. Do you all? I find it's hard to figure out like what is, what is, the, what is really going to happen when I do this thing, right? We get our voter um, pamphlet with all your information in it and, and you've got one view of what some piece of legislation is going to do and another view of what the same piece of legislation is going to do. And do those ever agree? No, but we're talking about the same legislation. So what are you supposed to do? How do you make a decision on that? I find myself really struggling sometimes to figure out, well, what is correct? Which is the way it's going to go? I always wonder, do I have enough information? Am I making the right decision? What should I do? And even after I vote, sometimes I think, oh, wow, I'd like to go back and change that this time. Or alter that, right? But there's no going back either. And something similar like that was going on with the Israelites. As they had cried out for a king. They had cried out for God. That was in our readings last week. You read it. 
And that cry for a king displaced God, their true king, the one who had always been the king of Israel. With that one will of the people, they sought to to dethrone him and put a human on that throne to make some person take on the role of God. Is that an easy role for a person to fill? Is it possible for a human to fill the whole role of God as king? No, not at all. It's an impossible. And it's, it is bound to fail. There is no way to go away from it. But God gave them what they wanted. He gave them a king. And they got a guy named Saul. And Saul was tall, handsome, had great hair, a winning smile, you know, looked good on television. They got this guy. But despite all those characteristics, was he a great king? No, he wasn't a great king. Not at all. He was impulsive, haunted by demons, faithless, violent. And Samuel washed his hands of Saul because he was the one who had anointed him. In our passage, Samuel leaves Saul and never goes back. Never goes back. He goes to a city called Ramah, where they had the llama and they ate ding-dongs, right? Ramah, llama, ding-dong. It's famous. That's where the expression comes from. But there in Rama, uh, despite the llamas and the ding-dongs, he is grieving. Samuel is grieving over Saul. Grieving over lost opportunities, failed potential, mistakes, damage to the nation. All that kind of stuff that he's been a part of. He's been a part of all that. But God speaks to Samuel and Rama and asks him a very pointed question. How long will you grieve over Saul? How long? One year, two years, a decade. How long are you going to grieve over Saul? How long are you going to mope around about the past? Anybody mope around about the past ever? Never. You could just move on, make a decision, move on, right? Take your knocks. Man, it is a hard, I, I am one who's always looking in the past. And so for me, this is a helpful thing to remember. The Lord doesn't seem to really be moping around about the past. He regrets that he had given them Saul, but then he's, boom, moving on. And when he's not looking at the past, he's now looking forward. Looking forward to what can happen. What is the potential? And he tells it to Samuel straight. I have rejected Saul from being king over Israel. <clears throat> What's done is done, and Saul is done. The Lord has made up his mind about him, so now it's not the time for looking back but for looking forward. And so he gives Samuel a plan for moving forward. He says, fill your oil, your horn with oil and set out. I assume that's not a trumpet in terms of horn. You guys, come on. Probably a trombone. They are better. Uh, no, your horn with oil and set out. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. It's interesting, the language says, I have provided for myself a king. The Lord is picking a king for himself. God is moving forward with the next opportunity, which is among the sons of Jesse. Samuel, though, is a little nervous about the process, right? Because it's pretty ambiguous. He says, fill up your horn with oil and go, and I'm going to take care of it. 
And so he says, how can I go? If Saul hears of it, he will kill me. Obviously, the relationship is a little fragmented, right? This is not a good sign of healthy prophet and king relationship, is it? Not at all. But God has thought of this. God knows that Samuel's life is in jeopardy. And so he presents to Samuel the plan. He says, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I name to you. So all Samuel has to do is bring the oil and the cow. And he's good. Listen for God to God. And so Samuel sets out and he arrives at the at the city of Bethlehem and the elders of the city are freaked out because apparently Saul's reign has resulted in general anxiety that amounts to everyone being afraid that at any moment a royal decree will end their lives or destroy their village. Not the best way to live, not the most comfortable situation to be a, a village elder in that kind of world or to be just a normal citizen there. But that's the way it is under King Saul. But Samuel, he assures them he has come peaceably. And he tells them, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Now, the passage tells us that at this point, all the sons of Jesse begin to come to the sacrifice. And Samuel looks at the oldest one and he is convinced That this is the new king. He says, surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. Now, why is Samuel so sure that this one's the king? He looks good, right? And he, what else? He looks good and he's tall. That's right. That's right. He looks good and he's tall. This is very reassuring for me. I'll never be elected. Um... (laughs) Right? He looks good and he's tall. Has Samuel learned nothing in this process? Because that's how Saul was picked, right? I mean, despite all his grieving, all his moping around in Ramah, he still hasn't internalized that it is not the best way to choose a king based on how they look. Right? Is that a fair statement, you think? Good thing we've learned, right? We as humans. Right, We don't ever pick people based on looks, which is very pleasant, or make judgments about people based on looks. Okay, so the Lord, we know that Samuel is judging based on looks because the Lord, who knows the what? The heart, says to him, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, so his looks or his height, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see, They look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Is there a difference between those two? Can you have a good outward appearance and a a not so good inside? Can you have a not so good outward appearance, but a great inside? Yes. Yes. And the Lord is the only one who is able to make that decision. You and I will fail at that so many times. We fail. We make snap judgments about people all the time. And it is terrible. But the Lord, he sees the heart. Okay, so 
In wanting to choose Eliab, Samuel was about to replicate the same decision-making process that had chosen Saul as king. And we all know that process went terrible. But the formula was something like this. Looks plus stature equals king. The problem was, it was a broken equation. Because you might have got a king, but did you get a good king? No, you didn't get a good king. You just got an A king. And so God short-circuits that broken equation and intervenes himself into it. And he makes Samuel bring all the sons of Jesse before him, one after the other. And one after another, none of them turns out to be the Lord's chosen. And suddenly there's no more sons of Jesse there. And so Samuel says, well, do you have any more? Any more sons? And Jesse replies, there remains yet the youngest, but he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel says, hey, we are not going to sit down. We are just going to wait here on our feet until you bring that son to us. And when David comes in, we get this description. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. What is that judging again? I mean, but it's a description. It's okay. It, because the Lord says, rise and anoint him, for this is the one. He's still good looking, but that, I think, is just a description of his outward appearance that everyone else was seeing. What Samuel was waiting for was the judgment of his heart. Right? David just happened to look good on the outside and also have a heart that was for the Lord. He was chosen not for the outside, not for his appearance, but he was chosen because the Lord had his own criteria that he chose David according to. And once the Lord speaks, Samuel acts. It says, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And in that moment, in that moment, in that anointing of David, and in the coming of the Holy Spirit upon him, the history of Israel changed. David would be for all time that iconic king. The one who, the one who was a man after the Lord's own heart. The one who would define their nation. David was raised up out of obscurity and he became their leader. And he was in all ways the perfect king. Never failed. Never fell short. Never made a mistake. And led them from glory to glory, right? What do you mean no? Now, you remember, David, I mean, he he did some things right. He did some really good stuff. I mean, all those psalms, that thank God for David, right? All those psalms are beautiful. The slaying of Goliath, we're all big fans of that, right? His, um, his solidifying Israel as a nation and securing its borders. Um, he did some amazing stuff. But then if you're Uriah the Hittite, King David's kingship was not so great because he, while you were away fighting his battles, he stole your wife and then he murdered you, right? Or had a foreign army murder you, but still you were murdered nonetheless because try to cover up his own sin, right? He did some things well, but he had some massive blunders. And within two generations after him, the nation had fallen apart, right? That legacy that hope of the nation to be unified and strong, significant, filled with the faith of God, 
it had all fallen apart. No, the world would have to wait a long time for the perfect king. David wasn't it. And when the perfect king did arrive in the city of Bethlehem, the same city of David, he showed a different way. The way of humility and peace. The way of righteousness and truth. The way of grace and love. And for this, the world gave him a different kind of throne. What kind of throne did did we put Jesus on? The cross. And we gave him a different kind of crown than David too, didn't we? What kind of crown did we put on Jesus? Crown of thorns. But Jesus had before him a throne and a crown which could not be taken from him because they were found at the right hand of God in heaven who had destined Jesus for suffering but for glory. You and I, we muddle about in an uncertain world of earthly politics. But we ask God for guidance as we make decisions about candidates and about legislation. We don't always get the people we want. Or we get the person we want and we find out they're not exactly what we want. Right? The world is complicated and fraught with challenges. Saul had been God's choice for king, and the description of his choice in 1 Samuel chapter 6 is to restrain his people. Right? Not the best job description. Trying to restrain your people. And David is God's choice, and he creates massive problems as well. So even though God had chosen this leader, still resulted in challenges for the nation. Because nobody was perfect. Nobody was the perfect king. Except for God himself. So you and I, we should vote well. We should vote wisely. We should be informed. And we should be connected. But we should not look for our security in any earthly leader. Our only security is found in our king. Jesus Christ. Who took on flesh for us. And died to set us free. May we find our peace and our hope in him and entrust our lives to his care as we seek to walk in this world and live as faithful Christians. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for being the God of peace, the God of love, the God of mercy, the God of truth, the God of grace. Lord God, we confess to you we confess to you our, our, our willingness and our addiction to making snap judgments about people and things based just on their outward appearance. Lord God, we can't see the heart. And oftentimes we don't want to take the time to figure out what's really going on inside. Lord, forgive us for this. Forgive us for this empty judgment. Lord God, we we ask that you would set us free from this bondage, bondage to how people look or what they say, and allow, give us your judgment, Lord, and your ability to see inside. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to put our faith, Lord, not in earthly institutions, but in you. Lord, in your kingship, in your leadership, in the hope you have given us in your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Help us to put our faith in that. And we pray, Lord God, that you would give us the ability to walk in peace in this world where we find ourselves constantly surrounded by people, Lord, with whom it would be so easy to disagree. Help us to walk in peace in this world, to be people of peace. And may our trust and our faith be always and evermore in you. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.